Before we get fully into the story today, we're going to have to do a little bit of backstory again. Not as much backstory as we've had before. We're just got to do one chapter. This is from 1 Kings chapter 11. Now, the king before Rehoboam, after David, would have been David's son. Solomon, absolutely right. And during Solomon's reign, especially getting further in, there was a lot of unrest. Solomon was not known and received and acted as a great king as one would have hoped for someone who we now know as being one of wisdom, but perhaps that was said a little tongue-in-cheek, but that's another sermon. I'm getting carried away. Jeroboam rebelled during the reign of Solomon. And we heard in our scripture reading this morning that he had fled and then he came back after Solomon died and Jeroboam was becoming king. While Jeroboam was on a, the, one of the errands for the king, as Jeroboam served Solomon, he met the prophet Ahijah who told him that you, Jeroboam, will get authority over ten of the twelve, that's not a bad ratio, ten of the twelve tribes of Israel. And that the kingdom would be split because the leaders and the people were not following God and doing as God had commanded. However, God promised that David's dynasty would continue, and that's how you have the two tribes that would be in the smaller kingdom. Solomon learned of this prophecy, and as kings did, he sought to kill Jeroboam, who thinking, well, if I kill him, then he can't take part of my kingdom. And that's why Jeroboam fled to Egypt for sanctuary and where we started off with him in today's story. Now, after Solomon's death, we're still in chapter 11 here, his son Rehoboam was set to become the next king. So Jeroboam returned. This actually, we're in chapter 12 now. Jeroboam returned, as we learned in our reading. And he said that you need to be easier on your people. And the people were saying, we need a lighter yoke. Perhaps we read as less forced labor. One common interpretation for this is we want less taxes. Who doesn't want less taxes, right? It sounds so good. Just tax us less and we'll be happy. But Rehoboam refused, as we hear. And let's hear this one more time. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come there to make him king. Jeroboam heard that, right? He was in Egypt where he had fled. He came, all of Israel came and said, Your father made our yoke heavy. Lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke that was on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam said, go away for three days. Right? He's saying, I need some time to think. Then he took counsel, and Scripture says, now the older men came in who had been the advisors to his father, Solomon. And he asked them, how would you advise me? And they said, if you will be a servant to the people today, serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, they will be your servants forever. But he disregarded the advice and then consulted with the young men who grew up with him and weren't his father's advisors but his current advisors and said, what do you think I should do? Right? He already got two answers that were kind of the same. He goes, well, what do you think I should do? I'm looking for something else. And they said, say that if you thought your, my father's yoke was heavy and you want me to lighten it for you, know that my little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Where my father laid on you a heavy yoke, 
I will add to it. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king had said. And he said, come back to me in three days. And the king answered them, my father's yoke was heavy. I will make it heavier. You were disciplined with whips. I will discipline you with scorpions. Now, perhaps this sounds a little familiar to us in the light of Scripture. We look at it already chronologically. If we go back to Exodus 5, not that long ago, early on when Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, set our people free, not only did Pharaoh say no, but do you remember what Pharaoh said? Pharaoh said, not only am I not going to set them free, I will make their work harder. For they would have straw that Pharaoh, that Egypt would provide for them to make the bricks. It goes, we're not going to provide straw anymore. You have to go gather your own straw and then still make the same number of bricks or you will be beaten. We have a lot of parallels in today's scripture to Exodus. We'll hear another one later. But be thinking about a, a common adage. Those who don't learn history are doomed to repeat it. We've heard that before, right? It's been repeated in different ways, different variations throughout history. Now, to be fair, there are plenty of examples of people who know history and still repeat the same mistakes anyway, right? I think if we're honest and look at our own lives, perhaps we can make a mistake for the second or third or fourth or fifth time and go, I really thought I would have learned this lesson by now. I really should have remembered what happened last time but here I am making the same mistake. See, the lesson that we have today that is repeated is people ask for leniency from a ruler. And not only does the ruler say no, but instead saying, I'm going to give you less mercy and compassion than you had before. So we continue in our reading. The king did not listen to the people and what they requested. And when all of Israel saw that the king would not listen to them, the people answered the king, what share do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, O David. That's their way of saying, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. That's them saying, I am out. So Israel went to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah. That's to the south. When King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was the taskmaster over the forced labor, all Israel stoned him to death. Another parallel to the Exodus story. King Rehoboam then hurriedly mounted his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. This is when we have the start of Israel being divided into two kingdoms. One would remain with the name Israel in the north. The other kingdom to the south would be Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel contained Samaria, Shechem, Jericho. Judah to the south had, let's see, Jerusalem, Hebron's over here, and then Beersheba was down further to the south. And the reason we have here for the split, what ends up being a split not just of, of, of the country or the nation or the kingdom, but a split of the worshiping community as well, was political. Now, can you imagine that? Could you imagine a church being divided over politics? I mean, that's hard to even fathom, right? Aren't we so far beyond that now? 
No, we all know churches and denominations split after split after split over questions of politics, right? This was a political split where people were surely hoping the next king would be better than Solomon, thinking it can't be any worse than the last guy. And instead they found out that he openly said, oh, you thought my dad was bad. You wait till you get a taste of me. See, the language we use today, at least officially the language we use, to describe our leaders, our elected officials, is public servant. Right? If you go to a school and open up a book, it's going to say, oh, our public servants are elected officials. Rehoboam was not a public servant. He was a king. Now, there's a large difference between being a true public servant, someone who actually cares about working towards the betterment of people as a whole and saying, I am here to serve you, versus someone who just wants the power and authority to improve themselves. My general rule in life is to always be at least a little wary of someone who wants to be in a leadership position a little too bad. You know what I'm talking about when I say that? If you think of like, oh, it's just a local position or it's just on, on the board of the HOA or whatever it is, like, why do you want to be president so bad? And to me, that always makes me a little nervous. I'd always rather have the George Washington type, the reluctant but capable leader who then says, I served my time, now I'm going to step down and let somebody else. I want to go retire and take a step back. See, instead of being a public servant, Rehoboam was not the reluctant public servant. He arguably wasn't a capable one either. But he chose to be a heavy-handed dictator, and that was his opening message to the people. So instead of following him, ten of the tribes went the other way with Jeroboam, who was an outspoken critic during the end of Solomon's reign as well. So the ten tribes follow him means they finally chosen the right leader. All would be well, right? Before we continue and finish today's scripture and hear it again for a second time, a reminder of another story in, in Exodus. This is from the time of receiving the Ten Commandments. Exodus 32, we're going to start at the top and just read a few verses from it. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. They worshipped. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. 
If we skip a few, few verses after God finds out and Moses finds out and Moses comes down, we have, as soon as Moses came near the camp and saw the golden calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets from his hands, the, the Ten Commandments, these aren't just any tablets, broke them at the foot of the mountain, took the calf that they had made, burned it with fire, ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. Do we remember that part of the story? I'm going to stop there, but no, if I keep reading, it gets worse. Okay? But that's enough of a reminder that making gold idols and worshiping them as God is bad. Like, that's a pretty simple, very on-the-nose lesson. So what does Jeroboam do? Well, he built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and resided there. Went out from there and built Penuel. Then Jeroboam said to himself, Now the kingdom may go back to worshiping in the house of David. But if they continue to offer their sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, the heart of these people will turn to their master, King Rehoboam of Judah. Then they'll kill me and return back to him. So the king took counsel, saying, what should I do? Oh, I know what to do. I'll make two calves of gold. And then he said to the people, you've gone to Jerusalem long enough. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he put one in Bethel, and then one in another place that has no relation to my name. The other place was Dan. Okay. Yeah, see, that was good. We're awake, right? I know it's a little foggy outside. It's very spooky today. But what we see here, again, is a political motive. We see Jeroboam, now the king of Israel, up to the north, knowing that Jerusalem in Judah to the south, people will want to return to Jerusalem to worship, and that will weaken his power, his authority, his control over the people, or at least he fears it might. So he goes, you don't have to go over there. That's the godless country now. Come worship these golden idols I just had made. See, this story, while it's, it is a story of repeated mistakes, this story really at its heart, it goes back to like the time that we had up here with the kids, is it's a story of who to listen to. It starts off, it's very, again, very clearly on the nose with Rehoboam and his advisors, where there were two camps. I kind of picture this like the cartoons. You know the cartoons where you'd have like an angel on one shoulder, then like a devil on the other shoulder? And the reason is like, give them mercy, show them you're strong, you know? And you have like these competing voices, right? Trying to convince the character on what to do in a situation. I picture Roboam like with those two voices coming around him, and he very clearly chooses which one to listen to. And after he makes his choice, the people, the 12 tribes, the community, has to decide which one to follow. And when they had two leaders and they could choose which one to follow, if we keep reading Kings, we find out they really had two bad options. You ever been in a place where you had to pick between two bad options on who to follow or who to listen to? stinks, right? And Jeroboam, now that he is king of ten of the twelve tribes, has to decide if he wants to listen to God or if he wants to listen to his own inner strategist and advisors 
and build golden idols. There's a lot of struggle in this story. You know, I think back to when people were asking God for a king, and God told them, you don't want a king. And the people kept saying, no, no, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. And God goes, okay, I'll give you a king. You're not going to like it. And they got a king and a king and a king and the kingdom divided. And then they ended up getting conquered. And they learned that God was right. But see, we constantly have this struggle, not just in the story, but we have this struggle in our own lives of knowing who to listen to. Asking ourselves what is right. And perhaps we have some time to sit and talk and think about it and reach out to our trusted advisors who may or may not steer us the right way. Or perhaps sometimes we have a split second to make the decision. Perhaps we don't know the history, or perhaps we do know the history, and we still find ourselves repeating it. So what do we do? What do we do if we find ourselves caught in this cycle? First thing we can do, whether we feel like we have time or we feel like we don't have time, we make time to take a step back to take a step back out of it and bump into the communion table. What a perfect reminder that would be if every time we take a step back out of something, we hit against the communion table to remind us what we're gathering around. That wasn't playing, but that just felt perfect. We take a step back and perhaps make some time and some room for prayer. You know, as Presbyterians, it is required of us to open and close meetings in prayer. There's a reason behind that. And I find during the tougher meetings is when it's more important to take a step back and to also include prayer right in the middle of it. Another way we can take a step back is with Scripture. Now, will Scripture and knowing these stories keep us from preventing or keep us from doing all those mis- I'm going to start over. Ready? We're going to rewind. Will knowing Scripture prevent us from making the same mistakes of the past? Not every time, realistically. But can it lessen how often we repeat those mistakes? I think that it absolutely can. And perhaps the most important thing that I take with it is if we err, if we make a mistake, to err on the side of grace. A couple churches ago, I'm not getting into the full details of this, uh, but we had a, a constitutional question that was related to our book of order, our government, our polity, our structure, and how we do what we want to do. And it was related to membership, and I didn't know what to do, so I called my executive presbyter at the presbytery level and said, hey, I'm in a tough situation. I can see the reading going either way. What do I do? And at this point, I had been a pastor, I think, ordained solo pastor for like six or eight months, not very long. And he told me, well, if you've got to make a mistake with it, do it on the side of grace and do what you need to do for the person and then we'll handle the rest of it later. You know, my personal belief, my stance on, on a question that's, well, I mean, truly been involved in the church since the very beginning if you go back to Paul and Peter, but there's always been a question of who do we include in the church? Who is allowed to be baptized? Who is allowed to come to communion, to be ordained, to be an elder? Who is included in the community of the church. 
And the way I view it for me is that when I die, if I'm talking to God and God says, you had too many people in that church, I can live with that. I can. Because the flip side is if God said, I sent my children to you and you turned them away, I can't live with that. And for me, that's as simple as the question in the matter is. So there are lessons and histories of things that we learn or memorize or put in us. But if we're going to err, err on the side of grace. Another good reminder for me, and we'll close with this, a well-known passage, uh, one of the hallmark passages of our denomination, Matthew 25. Got to read 31 to 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he'll sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. He'll separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep at his right hand, the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? When was it we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. Amen? Amen.